0: Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Bupa Healthy Me podcast. I'm Georgia Mizzen from the communications team at Bupa Dental Care, and in this episode I'll be talking to two of our skilled clinicians, Kareem Abdulkalik and Susie Lloyd, to bust the most commonly held dental myths. Hi, Georgia. Well, hi. Hi, Georgia. Hi, right. so good to
1: have
0: you. Today. <laughs> We're going to be chatting all about your misconceptions, from the truth about charcoal for whiter teeth, to whether you actually need to have your wisdom teeth out. So thank you both for joining us. I'm excited to hear your wisdom on dental do's and don'ts. You're going to be getting a lot of these jokes all the way through. So I hope you're prepared.
1: Don't start, <laughs>
0: <laughs> We've never had any of them before, Georgia. Just wait. Just wait. <laughs> We're going to drill down into some of these myths. Oh, no. <gasps> oh. <laughs> So this is something that's come up a lot with our patients, um, DIY teeth whitening. So influencers and vloggers rave about cheap alternatives to professional whitening, but it does sound a bit hocus pocus to me. And Kareem, you're a cosmetic dentist. So tell me, does charcoal toothpaste actually whiten your
1: teeth? So we see quite a lot of hocus pocus on social media now, don't we? We do. Well, the problem is that people often don't know the difference. And it's difficult to tell what what works and what doesn't. And um, with influencers, as you say, um, a lot of people will will follow what they say. But the truth is that a lot of charcoal toothpaste manufacturers claim that it can absorb staining from dark food um, and drinks like tea and coffee and wine. But there's no studies to confirm this. I'd also be a little bit concerned about how abrasive the charcoal toothpaste can be, um, as if it can remove surface stains, it can take off your enamel as well. Um, So, enamel is the protective outer coating of your teeth and um, once this is removed it actually has the opposite effect of making your teeth whiter because loss of enamel leads to exposure of the underlying tooth structure known as dentin Um, and this is actually yellower in appearance. It's more prone to tooth decay and can become quite sensitive if it's exposed.
0: Ouch, I mean that that doesn't sound great, I mean are there any benefits?
1: It doesn't contain fluoride so fluoride is the active ingredient which stops tooth decay and makes your teeth stronger and um, a review in the British Dental Journal, I think they reviewed 50 charcoal toothpaste and found that only about eight contain fluoride. The other issue is in the ones that do contain fluoride there's concerns that the charcoal actually renders the fluoride inactive so it doesn't actually work. So basically Um, surface stain removal or tooth whitening is the best way to make your teeth white but you should see your uh, dentist or hygienist about this because we use special equipment um, that doesn't damage your teeth Um, and we aim, and we want to keep your teeth strong and healthy Um, and in addition to whatever we could do for you we'll always recommend using a well-known fluoride-containing toothpaste who who wants yellow teeth with black toothpaste? (laughs)
0: There you have it, folks. Charcoal isn't the one. But it's not just that though, is it? Because people are using all sorts of concoctions to try and get a sparkling smile now. I've heard of people coconut oil pulling, swishing with hot water and lemon, and making their own toothpaste with baking powder. Is that something that you hear about in practice?
1: All the time. If we just take those one by one, um, if I give you a bit of background about oil pulling, this involves swishing oil around the mouth and pulling it through the teeth over the course of about 20 minutes, which is thought to remove toxins. It's an old Ayurvedic Indian practice, but there's no evidence that it actually works. Um, Most people use coconut oil. Um, Some people have used sunflower oil and sesame oil, but uh, concerningly, there's actually been one study that's linked the sesame oil to pneumonia as it was inhaled into the lungs.
0: That's genuinely
1: Uh, terrifying. Yeah, no, not good. I'm glad you mentioned the hot water and lemon one because we see this quite a lot now, and especially with uh, with the rise of fizzy um, drinks, things like that, we see a lot more erosion. So there's no doubting that the general health benefits of citrus fruits, but swishing it around the mouth with water is going to cause a lot of erosion. Okay, and once the enamel's eroded away, it doesn't grow back. In order to replace it and make teeth look nice again, we may need to use a lot of modern restorative materials, which requires extensive placement can be expensive very are we are we talking about veneers there yeah like we use a lot of composite resin so white composite materials or veneers now it often requires a lot and it can be quite expensive but the other issue with these things is that um once you once you need these types of restorations you can enter into what we call a restorative cycle and they will require repairs and replacements with time so it's not just the effects of the erosion in the short term it's the repair of your teeth in the long term as well um so the um, advice about erosion applies to all foods and drinks with erosive potential so if you, if you're going to have for example um, acidic drinks make sure you minimize them anyway but drink them through a straw to limit your contact through the teeth with the teeth and don't swish them around the mouth
0: and I, I will caveat that with uh, paper straws please people or better still metal because you know we're trying to protect yeah. the environment here Reusable.
2: I completely agree. And there was there was one third aspect as well that, that you mentioned earlier on, which is um, about people um, using baking powder. Um, so there are lots of toothpaste that contain baking powder. Um, so I think there's, there's some people that then take that to the next level by sort of making their own toothpaste or using baking powder alone just to try and whiten the teeth. Again, this is a bit of problematic. There's concerns about grittiness. It can lead to um, to enamel damage. And again, in order to to get the aim that you want, uh, you, you can then cause quite a lot of damage to the teeth. Um, so we definitely wouldn't recommend that as an alternative to conventional toothpaste. As again, that doesn't contain fluoride as well, and it's got really limited um, antibacterial properties. So, so I think we sort of come back to the advice really that, you know, if you if you want advice to how to, to whiten properly, then just see your dentist and ask about it. There's loads of different options
0: and we can just make sure that you do it safely.
1: Yeah, that's what we're here for. And
0: you should keep your baking powder for your cakes. So... <laughs> learning... No,
1: Georgia, less cake. We want less cake.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, sorry. Too much sugar. We'll, we'll move on to that in a minute. Um, so we're, we're learning about how to protect our enamel here. So basically we don't want to get rid of it because it doesn't grow back. But what if you have pearly white teeth already? Does that mean they're healthy? I mean, I, I feel like the color of your teeth is an indication of age, genetics, and what we eat and drink. Surely it's not signifying if there's anything going on under the surface, though, does it? But I mean, I'm not a dentist. You are, so you you tell me. Yes, it can do actually.
2: So basically the color of your enamel is determined by your genetics. Some people are very, very lucky in that they have very, very white, uh, very very white appearing teeth. But certain teeth in the mouth also naturally appear darker. So for example, your canine teeth, so if you count from the midline, three out, the sharp pointy ones, they're your canines, and they naturally uh, usually appear a shade darker um, than the rest of the teeth. And then unfortunately, as we age, teeth naturally start to appear yellower. So bleaching can counteract this, uh, but the, uh, the wisdom is that you can only bleach as white as the color of the white part of your eyes.
0: Why is that? Is that a cosmetic thing or is that to protect your teeth from going over the top with the bleach? Like what's the, what's the science behind that?
2: So it's about what's actually physically possible. Okay. So it, it's just to do with the actual kind of, um, yeah, the, the colors that you can achieve. Uh, and and generally, when you look at those white part of uh, of someone's eyes, then uh, then that's the the best that you can achieve. There's I'll give you some other tips in a minute as to how you can make your teeth look whiter. But but basically, the, let's go back to those those other causes of um, of teeth appearing a, a slightly different colour. So if you think about what happens when uh, when decay is progressing, first of all, it appears a bit of a chalky white mark, and that's caused by the enamel decalcifying. That then Uh, continues and a brown spot forms. And as the decay deepens, it starts to spread through the enamel into the dentine substance underneath. And then eventually, if you think about it, uh, that, that soft decay starts to undermine the hard surface of the enamel. And eventually, the surface breaks down, it's undermined, and it forms a hole or a cavity. As your as your dentist would call it, um, so you, you should be suspicious about any change in colour, particularly in hard to reach areas, because that can signal trouble and should be checked by a dentist. In most cases, it's going to be extrinsic surface staining caused by your diet, but in some cases, it could indicate that you've got some decay there.
0: So it's worth sort of getting a mirror in your mouth and checking them out. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's it.
1: as well, seeing your dentist as well and having x-rays, because as Susie mentioned, it, it happens from the inside out um, and then it collapses in on itself and forms a cavity. So on a daily basis, we see teeth that um, we've taken x-rays and they look fine on the surface when you look at them visually. And then inside, um, there's actually quite a big cavity. Um, so that's why we have x-rays and that's why we have clinical examination.
0: And you should go to the you dentist sort of every six months is that what you recommend?
1: It, it depends on on what your um, decay risk is and what your gum disease risk is. Some people need to see us a bit more frequently right. um, so we can sort of uh, keep on top of any disease and also reinforce the advice that we give patients to help them Im- improve their, their oral hygiene status at home as well. Um, and then once they get to that level, they can then come back less frequently every six months or 12 months, or even for the ones that are really good, they can come back every two years.
2: Yeah, absolutely. We do tend to like seeing children a bit more frequently. Things can change quite quickly and um, in children. Uh, habits can change. How well they brush can change. Uh, so, yeah, we, we do like to see little ones a little bit more frequently as well, at least every six months. And there's one final reason that teeth can also um, start to change color. Uh, and often for this reason, they go quite gray. Uh, and it's usually because the teeth has sustained some kind of trauma, like a, a knock or you know if you've fallen over or something. And that can cause the nerve within the teeth to die off. So uh, if you do see this, even if you don't remember any trauma to the teeth, it's a really good idea to get your dentist to check it out. But Kind of in summary for this, Georgia, um, just because your teeth are white doesn't necessarily mean they're healthy. Get those regular checkups and hygiene appointments um, just to make sure everything's OK. Great.
0: I'm booking my appointment now. <laughs> Another hot topic with our listeners is wisdom teeth and whether you actually need to have them taken out because it seems like it used to be sort of common practice to have them removed in your 20s, like some sort of rite of passage. Both of my parents had theirs out at, you know, great uh, stress and upset. Um, and mine are coming out 90 degrees to my jaw. And I've still avoided it because it just doesn't sound like the best way to spend an afternoon that I can think of. But do I need to? I mean, they don't give me too much trouble and, you know, I can feel them sticking into my cheeks, but, you know, they're not, I don't have pain and I don't have infections. And st- let's You tell me, let's hear it from the horse's mouth.
2: So yeah, this this is one that we get quite uh, quite often as well, and it's really funny, isn't it? There does seem to be a bit of a thinking that you know it is a is it a, a sort of modern rite of passage when you get yeah. to a certain age, um, but no, there's there's no need to have your wisdom teeth removed unless they're causing
1: you problems.
2: Uh, wisdom it's teeth the same typically as any
1: other tooth, isn't it really? Well,
2: well absolutely, yeah. You're not going to grow any more, so no. um, they typically erupt between ages of about eighteen and twenty five. And in some people, uh, there's insufficient space for them. Actually, really interestingly, about a third of the population no longer have wisdom teeth, and it's just as we evolve and our diet has changed. So, if you think about when we used to be hunter gatherers, uh, our diet was uh, consisted of chewing a lot of bones uh, and much harder, harder foods. But now our diet is quite soft. So actually, we're we're evolving. So a lot of people don't have this problem because they don't have wisdom teeth anymore. But quite significant proportion of the population do and they do tend to sometimes be a little bit tricksy they can stay partially erupted they can get impacted uh, i.e. stuck behind the teeth in front um, and if it's not causing any any problems then your dentist will will most uh, most often just watch and wait if you've got like mild inflammation you can manage that really well at home just by really good self-care. Cleaning thoroughly around the area with a toothbrush, antibacterial mouth rinse, as soon as you um, as you feel any mild or early discomfort is is really effective. You have to get in there early though. If you leave it too late, then you get swelling, infection around the tooth. It's then very hard to manage that um, that that infection, and, and it, it becomes a little bit of a vicious cycle. So you, as soon as you feel that that you know that little bit of discomfort, you have to get in there early. Hot, salty mouth rinse is really effective, and ibuprofen as a low-level anti-inflammatory, as long as medically you're safe to take it, works really well as well. But in some cases, even if you have, you know, haven't got there quickly enough um, or, or you can't manage it at home, then you're going to need to get professional help. Um, and any unmanageable pain um, or, or swelling that you, you, you know is not being controlled, then needs to be seen by a dentist.
0: So what how, what would happen if I left it? You know what what are the are the risks if I left pain and, and swelling and infection?
2: Well, in most cases, it's self-limiting um, and you are able to clean around it and uh, and this, the situation just, just resolves and your body fights off a low-level infection like it would anywhere. Um, but you do have to be uh, very careful with, with wisdom teeth infections because of some of the tissue planes that sit within the head and neck. And there are areas within the head and neck that you don't want spreading infection, particularly okay. in young people. Um, so, you know, if there's any any sort of large facial swelling, um, anything like that, we'd always recommend that you um, you seek a a dentist opinion. And then the other thing I'd say here is, um, if it's causing you repeated pain and swelling and infection, um, then you might need to to make a decision to have the teeth um, extracted. And this is really a case of of weighing up risk versus benefit. If your wisdom teeth is likely to be easily removable, uh, you know, just under a little bit of local anesthetic in general practice, then it's pretty simple. So your dentist will probably, probably whip it out. Um, but in some cases, those impacted wisdom teeth are quite tricky to remove. Uh, and you might need to be referred for treatment under sedation or, or general anesthetic. But generally, we don't really go near people unless they've got at least two serious occasions of pain and swelling that require antibiotics. Do you, do you agree with that, Green?
1: Yeah, I would. Yeah. The the only other thing i say is um, when they're impacted, as you mentioned, when they're lying down on their side and pushing up against the tooth, sometimes that can cause an area of food impaction as well. Um, and you end up getting a little bit of decay on the tooth in front of it. So again, often patients don't realize this until it's it's gone quite far down the line. And then we have a problem with the wisdom tooth and the tooth in front of it as well. So again, that's why we see people regularly so we can pick up these things early and if it is causing that problem we sort of get rid of the wisdom tooth and then um, maintain the the one in front of it which can go on for a good number of years after that
2: yeah that's right so it's another good reason for those those regular x-rays and regular
1: checkups yeah that's a really good point it's just quite funny because patients come in and say oh i've got my wisdom teeth now do i need them out well well why do you need them out (laughs) do you need any of your other teeth out just because they've come out (laughs)
0: Well, I've got I've gotta say I'm quite relieved. That's good news for me. Absolutely. <laughs> so, sugar. We all know that dentists hate sugar and we all know that it's bad for our teeth, but do we really know why? I mean, some of the biggest myths of all are around sugar, so let's get stuck in. Once and for all, are diet or zero fizzy drinks better for our teeth?
2: Unfortunately, not really. They just bring their own problems. And, and I'm sure Corinne's with me on this, that sometimes you, know, you feel that you're taking away all of life's pleasures for, for patients.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, <laughs> it, everything is, is fine in, in moderation, um, but it's, it's when these things are, um, are sipped little and often in between meals that, that they become a real problem. So yes, diet drinks may contain less sugar. But very few of them are actually sugar-free or completely safe for the teeth. Things like cake zero. Um, the issue here is is acidity. So uh, often there there's some sort of pH one point five or or below, which is very very acidic. Strong acid. Absolutely. So you're cutting out the middleman of, um, of, of the bacteria, um, turning the sugar into, into acid. So um, if you just strap yourselves in very quickly, I'll, I'll give you the science behind it. So the reason that dentists don't like sugar is because the bacteria in your mouth feed on that sugar. They use it as a food source. Uh, they break it down and then they produce acid as their byproduct. And that acid then starts to demineralize the enamel. And it's that that is responsible for causing the decay if it's not removed. The problem here is that at any pH below 5.5, and your teeth actually start to demineralize. Your saliva can counteract that and start to neutralize it. But it does take about an hour to completely buffer that enamel. And then once you get the pH up above 5.5 again, the teeth are safe and they start remineralizing. Because enamel is a really, really clever substance. If you have uh, enamel above pH 5.5 and you've got fluoride in the mouth at the same time, then that fluoride is incorporated into the enamel crystals, the hydroxyapatite crystals, and you end up with fluoroapatite, which is even harder, stronger, and more resistant to acid erosion. So you can even if you've got some early damage to that enamel, you can actually make it better. So even though you've got these highly acidic drinks containing sugar, they're still demineralizing the enamel. So let's think about maybe ways that you could help yourself. So brushing and flossing regularly, that removes plaque. So there's less bacteria to break down um, and, and sort of feed on that sugar. You could avoid sipping acidic drinks little and often because that does a lot more damage, especially in between meals. You could rinse with water um, after you've had anything sugary or acidic because that would help to speed up the neutralization process. You could chew sugar-free gum. Because that would stimulate the saliva you could chew a cube of cheese that would be even better because then you'd also neutralize the acid and get loads of calcium and phosphate ions into the enamel and it would start remillerizing even more quickly
1: so you touched on fizzy drinks um but in sugars in general um all well i agree with everything susie just said um but it's important as susie said also everything in moderation so there is sugars in everything nowadays if you if you check the nutritional information um so we can't go around telling everybody to stop having all their pleasures um but there's a time for it um so sugars it's best to have your sugars at meal times not between meals because that's sort of when your teeth are being attacked already um but between meals if you're having snacks avoid sugary snacks avoid sugary drinks um have it's better to have savory things cheese crisps nuts things like that as Susie said
2: yeah so. it's really difficult actually for for busy parents as well but i think the because i i wrestle with this when i see my children at children's parties, like, you know, fighting to get to, to all the sugar. Um, it's hard not it's, to
1: be a dentist at these parties. Isn't yeah,
2: it, <laughs> it really, it really yeah. isn't. Yeah, you kind of feel as though you're, you know, you're, you're on trial a little bit. Um, but you need to kind of teach your children to make really good, healthy, sensible choices yeah. when you're not there as well. And just by taking all of it away probably isn't the answer. Yeah. So, so just trying to set good routines and really good boundaries so they know, you know, they do get a treat. Yeah, a couple of times a week, but they have it at a good time. So they'll have it immediately after a meal. They'll have everything together. Then it's done and dusted. Wait an hour, brush teeth. We're fine. Yeah. You know, so so we're, not, we're not saying never to have it. We're just say, saying have it in a sensible way that's not going to
0: impact on the health of your teeth.
1: Agreed. Have it at the right time.
0: So I'm not going to solve it by brushing my teeth straight after I've had some sugar.
1: It's probably not the best idea because that's when your mouth is most acidic um and you don't want to be brushing the enamel off your teeth so you should wait the 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 process the, the the neutralization process on its own will take 30 to 60 minutes but as susie said you can speed that up with having a glass of water having a glass of milk uh, chewing sugar free gum to get your saliva going all those all those things will just speed up that um neutralization process and ensure that your teeth are not bathing in acid um for as long as they would naturally after consuming some sugars
0: I feel like a lot of people don't know that. So thank you for clearing that up. Is
1: that correct, Susie?
0: Absolutely. You seem
1: to remember your uni notes a lot better than me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I don't think that's true. (laughs) Talking of uni, uh, let's talk about booze. Um, I think something that most people don't think about is that there's so much sugar in alcohol too. So move away from the kids' parties and more to the the adult parties. But even in spirits, uh, despite the lower calorie count, there's a lot of sugar. And combine drinking with smoking, and then you've got a pretty toxic combination for your teeth, haven't you?
2: That's absolutely right. And actually, the, the wider problem with this is not really about the teeth. So long-term heavy smoking and drinking increases your risk of oral cancer, head and neck cancer, and liver cirrhosis. And dentists are particularly well-placed to, um, to, to review this um, because we're probably the only people that very regularly look in your mouth. And if you think about your mouth as a bit of a window as to what's going on about you know the wider health of of your body, that that can tell you quite a lot of interesting things. So a lot of people don't know that the combination of long-term smoking and drinking act together. So they act synergistically to further increase your risk of of these things like um, oral cancer, head and neck cancer, and liver cirrhosis. And it it more than doubles the risk if you both smoke and drink. And this is because the alcohol acts on the skin, uh, what we would call the mucosa, on the inside of the mouth. And it makes it more, uh, more likely to absorb some of the carcinogens found within the cigarettes or tobacco. And if you think about it, I mean, oral cancer and head and neck cancer are extremely debilitating. They have very poor survival rates, um, despite, you know, a a lot of uh, very, very good doctors um, trying to change that. Lucky survivors often need major operations involving the removal of a lot of bone and, and multiple teeth um, and at that point obviously the you know the impact of, of the alcohol on the teeth itself is is, is, is secondary. Um, so anything you can do to um, to take any steps to lower your risk you know really cutting down, stopping smoking altogether and reducing your alcohol consumption is a really good idea for that for reason. That reason.
0: Wow. I mean, that's incredibly important to know. And now I'm worrying about the alcohol content of mouthwash. Because we all know that feeling as though you've cleaned your mouth out with dry ice. And surely that can't be great for our teeth or our mouths. So what should we be looking out for on a mouthwash label if we're trying to avoid too much alcohol?
2: Yeah. And and again, for the reason that alcohol is not brilliant for for the skin on the inside of, of the mouth. I would advise against the use of any alcohol-containing mouthwash, uh, mainly because so many really great alternatives exist. So you don't really need to use that. I appreciate that some people, you know, you get into a routine and you really like that feeling, um, but but maybe just you know ha- have a have a switch and, and and see if that achieves the same the same effect. Um, there's some really good high fluoride options for preventing decay, um, but really the best option is to brush with a fluoride toothpaste, spit it out. And then don't rinse, because what that does is leave the really concentrated uh, fluoride toothpaste on the teeth for longer. So here's a, here's a little thing that everybody can do at home. If you, um, when you next are brushing your teeth, turn over your tube of toothpaste and you'll see a number on the back and it will be followed by PPMF, which means parts per million fluoride. And that tells you exactly how much uh fluoride you have in your toothpaste. And usually for over-the-counter types of toothpaste, you'll have about 1,450 parts per million fluoride. If you do the same for a fluoride-containing mouthwash, you'll see that it's a lot lower most over-the-counter types of mouthwash it's going to be around 250 parts per million so if you have mouthwash immediately after you're just rinsing off the really good stuff with something that's less um less concentrated would would you agree kareem is that is that what you say in your surgery
1: yeah i do i tell patients to use their mouthwash at a different time to brushing because um cleaning or plaque removals divided into two parts you've got the mechanical plaque removal which is the main part that's your brushing and your flossing and um, mouthwash is chemical plaque removal so you want to be doing your brushing um with your fluoride toothpaste as Susie just said um not washing off the more concentrated fluoride and then if you use a fluoride mouthwash say a different time to brushing in the middle of the day just to freshen your mouth up it actually gives you a third fluoride exposure in addition to the brush that you're doing in the morning and the evening um which again as we should know by now um, fluoride um deposits into your teeth, makes the enamel much stronger, much more resistant to decay.
0: I feel like that's going to be a game changer for most people. I did not know that. So mouthwash at a different time to brushing. Got it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Really good for kids as well. And that brings us neatly on to routine, 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 the key to keeping our oral health in check. Everybody knows that, but there is a lot of confusion and misunderstanding around what we should be doing and when. I mean, clearly, because we we just heard we shouldn't be using mouthwash at the same time as t- toothbrushing, Um Flossing, this is a huge thing. We've all been told to floss more often by a dentist, but should we really be flossing every day?
1: You should be flossing every day. Um, as I've just explained, it's mechanical plaque removal. Bacterial plaque, which is the cause of tooth decay and gum disease, deposits on your teeth and accumulates within seconds. And there's literally millions of bacteria in there. The the reason you brush every day is to remove the plaque. But if you think about it, that's only brushing off the plaque that's on the surface of the tooth, the exposed surface of the tooth. We need to get in between the teeth as well. And you can do that with floss. Now, floss is really good for tight areas, but some patients have larger spaces between the teeth where floss will be relatively ineffective. for these larger spaces, interdental brushes are great um but anything really that dislodges the plaque from, from between your teeth is mechanical plaque removal um even um wooden toothpicks between the teeth are helpful um so there's different opinions on whether you should floss before or after brushing. I think as Susie says so as long as you do it, just do it um, yeah.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm quite a fan of getting patients to brush and then cleaning in between between their teeth. But for some, I find actually going the other way works really well. So you clean in between the teeth, because then you've got all the plaque out of the hard to reach areas. And then your toothbrush comes along like a road sweeper. So that that works really well. Um, But, you know, the bottom line is, as long as you're doing it, it doesn't matter when or how or what with, just as long as you're getting rid of that plaque.
0: (laughs) What what if there's a lot of blood? What if there's a lot of bleeding? Is that, what, what does that tell us? So that's
2: not a good sign. Okay. So that shows you that you've got active inflammation on, on the gums or the gingive in between or around the teeth. And that is your gums way of telling you get rid of that plaque. I don't like it. So if you're flossing and you're doing it you know, relatively thoroughly, or you're using a little interdental brush and you're going in between the teeth and there's any bleeding, that means you, you need to go gently, but you need to carry on with it. Don't let that make you think, oh goodness, I need to stop um, because it's just going to get
0: worse. And at that point, should I be looking to book a hygiene appointment?
1: It's always a good idea to get your teeth cleaned. Um, but as Susie said, so many patients come in and say, well, I tried flossing like you told me last time, but I stopped because my gums were bleeding. We always tell them you need to keep going. You need to persist despite the bleeding because they're bleeding because they're inflamed. And once that inflammation starts to settle down, and it, and the, the the changes are quite quickly, the gum um, inflammation will heal within a few weeks if you if you just keep going and persist with it.
2: But yeah, a hygiene appointment is a really good idea. Um one of the things your hygienist will do, as well as you know, doing a good deep clean and uh, and doing uh, screening to make sure that you know we're managing any kind of gum condition they'll also take you through that home cleaning that you need to do so they'll make sure that you've got um, you've got all the skills you need um, to, to keep this at bay but this is a team game you know it's like uh, it's like having a car and taking it for an amazing you know tuning the engine and then not doing your basic routine maintenance and, you know, filling up the water or filling up your windscreen wash. You know, you, the stuff that you do at home every day really makes a difference. Um, but then regular professional um, mechanical plant removal um, by a hygienist as well just lowers the amount of bacteria that's in the mouth. It gets rid of any biofilm that's, um, that's, uh, that's starting to form around the teeth. And so it makes your job at cleaning at home a lot a lot easier. So, yeah, a combination of really great cleaning at home with regular um, incidental cleaning and then regular visits to the the dentist and the hygienist are, are absolutely perfect.
0: Great. And we all know we're supposed to brush our teeth twice a day, morning and evening. We've just talked about this. We're going to brush. We're going to floss. We're going to use mouthwash at a different time. But what about toothbrush hardness? And does brushing harder equal cleaner teeth? Because I feel like that's something that people then go and do because they're, you know, they, oh God, I've got so much plaque and my teeth are bleeding. I need to brush really hard. Is that a good idea? (laughs)
2: <laughs> Not necessarily. So yes, we want everyone to uh, to be effective and enthusiastic toothbrushes, uh, but you can go too far the other way. So brushing twice a day for two minutes, either with an electric toothbrush or an or a manual toothbrush, is really good. Um, but the technique that you use and the amount of pressure that you put on is really important. So scrubbing away, particularly um, you know side to side or horizontally, um, does put a lot of pressure on the gums. And causes uh, quite a lot of recession. So this is when the gums move up in the upper arch, down in the lower arch, and you start to see more of the um, the, the hard tissues or the the, the white part of um, of the teeth. Now this this recession naturally happens a bit as we age, but it's significantly sped up if you scrub too hard, and and then the gums don't grow back. So it's one thing to be to be aware of. If you're using an electric toothbrush, um, a lot of them will have a, um, a sensor and a light that comes on if you're, if you're pressing too hard. But that's set at a really arbitrary level. So what's right for one person isn't necessarily right for the next person. So just try not to put too much pressure on when you're brushing. Nice, light, fast circles and um, that really makes that, that toothpaste kind of foam up and um, is, is really good angle your toothbrush bristle up um, in the upper arch at 45 degrees, down in the lower arch at 45 degrees, um, and make sure you change that, that toothbrush um, at least every every three months. Um, so you just need to find that balance between cleaning effectively and not overbrushing. But if you do have um, any recession, then your, your dentist will point that out uh, and will let you know that it's something that you need to be more aware of and, and that you should take care of in the future.
0: Okay, this is a big one. This has been in the news recently. Um, DIY teeth straightening. With the rise of TikTok trends and ads on Instagram, DIY teeth straightening and online braces, they've really taken off. And I, you can order a set of what are essentially braces online without even going near a dentist. Kareem, could you tell us why ordering a set of aligners off the internet might not be a good idea?
1: It's a really bad idea. Uh, tooth straightening or orthodontics, is it's not just as simple as making teeth straight. Um, Having any orthodontic treatment, you should speak to a dentist. Um, You'd have a full examination to make sure that your mouth is free of any oral disease, such as tooth decay, gum disease, dental infections, and not to mention the other things we screen for, such as oral cancer. Um, And aside from making sure that you've got no oral disease going on, um, seeing a dentist will allow you or the patient to ask questions, um, understand the treatment that they're 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 thinking of having, uh, any risks involved, because all treatment involves risks, um, and only then can can a patient give proper consent for their treatment so another thing that we'll do when we assess a patient is make sure that they're suitable for orthodontic treatment Um, because a lot of patients are not suitable some patients may need to see a um, orthodontic specialist some patients may even need surgery to correct their problem Um, but during orthodontic treatment all the way throughout your treatment is supervised by your clinician Um, and this doesn't happen with male order aligners and we've seen more cases now on social media where people are posting um, asking questions, but with photos, and you can see that their bite is completely ruined. To fix this, they're going to require significantly more um, lengthy and expensive treatment. If your bite is left in that way, it can affect your jaw joints, um, you'll have difficulty eating, and you can risk tooth fractures because the teeth don't bite together properly.
0: So, I mean, you've said, orthodontic treatment isn't about making the teeth straight it's the other factors as well i mean we're, we're talking about your face structure we're talking about the way that you can chew and the way that your teeth line up and your jaw what are the risk factors of getting something like this off the internet
1: as I said, you haven't had your mouth assessed. You don't know um, if you're um, free of oral disease. For example, if you've got gum disease and quite significant bone loss, if you haven't seen a dentist, haven't had a full gum assessment, haven't had x-rays, that can't be assessed. And if you move teeth through bone in that situation, the teeth can actually become more wobbly and fall out. Wow. Um, so in, in the quest of getting straight teeth, you actually end up with missing teeth
2: also if you think about what's happening when you're wearing aligners we've talked about you know the effect that saliva plays on the teeth and how it's got a really protective function if you're not brushing very well and you've got unmanaged dental decay placing aligners for long periods of of the day or night on your teeth is putting them at even higher risk
1: you're sealing the bugs in aren't you
2: Absolutely, and and it'll just progress, and you'll be left with quite a significant problem. So that's like Kareem said, you know, one of the um, one of the first things that happens um, in, in any of our practices when anybody comes to an orthodontic assessment is we make sure the basics are covered first, so that we're not putting anyone at any more risk by then completing the treatment that they want. Uh, but that's really hard to do when you're um, you're doing something remotely. Now, at the majority of our practices, um, people can come and and. If a liner treatment is is suitable or an option for them, then that'll be made really clear. So we're not we're not saying that that's not any of the kind of treatments that we do. Um, we just like to do it in a really safe and and controlled way to make sure that you know the patient's health is 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 at the foremost of our of our thinking. Um, yeah, would you would you agree, Corinne?
1: Yeah, and I think part of that what you just said is also making sure that the patient is suitable um, and that they're treated by the right person. So um, Other patients require fixed orthodontics. As we said, other patients require surgery. Some cases are not suitable for cosmetic orthodontics, which is what a lot of these systems are, the the mail order systems are. And these cases need to be managed by orthodontic specialists who are there for a reason because they are the best at what they do. In short, if you order braces off the internet, you don't know if you're suitable. Um, You've got no interaction with a dentist, nobody supervising your treatment, and you don't even have a dentist sometimes to contact if something goes wrong. Um, If you're, if you are considering orthodontic treatment, I'd always recommend speaking to dentist to advise on the best course of action.
0: And that just proves that if it looks too good to be true, it probably is. And there you have it. You've been filled in on our dental do's and don'ts. Uh, We hope you feel better equipped to keep your oral health in check now. And so if you have any questions for us or topics that you'd love to hear about next time, you know the drill. Get in touch with Bupa Dental Care on Facebook or find your nearest practice at bupardentalcare.co.uk. Talking of which, I think our dentists have got to get to practice. So thank you for listening. And thanks so much to Susie and Kareem for busting your dental myths. And we'll see you again on Healthy Me. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you.